Let us pray. So, Father, even now we ask that you would help us to trust Jesus more and more, to trust him who is our life. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here, and good morning again to everyone watching via the live stream. So glad that you've joined us. We're continuing in our study from the book of Ephesians today, picking up where we left off last Sunday. So I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bibles or in your devices with Scripture on them. Last week in looking at Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 19, we saw how St. Paul in his prayer for these believers challenges them to walk out their identity, who they are as new creations in Christ, and to walk this out as a, as a lived reality. Paul specifically prayed for them that God would give them wisdom and godly knowledge. And this knowledge is indeed that they were and are new creations in Christ. That they and we, because this is what God's word says, can indeed and do know and live in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that we can live in God-given hope, knowing that we are the beneficiaries of a promised inheritance through Christ. All of what we see here in chapter 1 is foundational and it's essential to our understanding of the remainder of Ephesians as then Paul moves on to make application to these truths of God in very specific ways in the lives of the Ephesian believers and by the work of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word in our lives as well. Beginning in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 1, really in the middle of the sentence, St. Paul introduces a third point in addition to and following up on the two that we focused on last week. And the point here is that the Ephesians and all of us who know Christ, that we must come to grasp, understand, and allow God to apply as a reality in our lives the all-surpassing power of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son Son of God. So what I want to do this morning is look more deeply into the reality of Christ's all-surpassing power and how this should shape and inform our lives as Christians. So to do this, there are three points I want to emphasize this morning as we explore this together. The first one is this, found in verse 20. Christ's resurrection and exalted place secures our spiritual inheritance. Beginning at the end of verse 19, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. The working of God's great might as the end of verse 19 says here, is the idea that that God exerted himself. God employed his divine power to raise Christ from the grave and exalt Jesus to his right hand in heaven. The following verses will give more insight into all that this means for us, but let's pause for a moment and look at this a little more. Because the reality of Christ's physical resurrection from the dead promises us two very specific things. In this context, first, it secures the promise of our own future resurrection with Christ for all of eternity. 
1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23 tell us this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Secondly, it secures the real possibility of walking in God-given newness of life here and now. So we have the future and the eternal aspect, but we also have the real possibility of newness of life here and now. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in the 6th verse, St. Paul says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8, the 11th verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Brothers and sisters, we have to get a hold of this truth. Think about it. Not Father Scott, not another priest or pastor, but God himself in his word says to you and me that the very same divine power which brought about Christ's resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of the Father in heaven is the very same power of God at work, bringing new life and bringing about transformation in us as God's people. And it is the same power from which the blessings we talked about last week flow. Blessings of the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, knowing the hope to which God calls us and our glorious inheritance as God's people. And all of this, all of it comes from God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in every genuine Christian, who seals God's future promises and who makes God's power available to us as a reality each day. Pastor Tim Keller tells the story of an Italian minister who was traveling and found the grave of someone who had died several hundred years before. This person who had died was clearly an unbeliever and completely against Christianity, but a little afraid of it too. So when this man was buried, he'd had a huge stone in Italy, a huge stone slab put over his grave so that he would not have to be raised from the dead in case there was a resurrection from the dead. And he had installed insignias put all over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Evidently, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. So a hundred years later, the acorn had grown up through and split the slab And it was now a towering oak tree with obviously really good fertilizer underneath. (laughs) 
And the minister looked at it and asked, if an acorn which has the power of biological life in it can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? And Tim Keller goes on to make this observation. The minute you receive Christ as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as immovable slabs in your life, your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts. Those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know him, the more you grow into the power of his resurrection. The earliest and consistent confession of the church insists on the reality of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Don't let anyone confuse you about that. Everything we talk about hinges on that eternal reality. This was the testimony of the early church, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father is central. It is central to all that we believe and all that we are as Christians. And you will hear people today in what I would call, and I use the term very loosely, the broader church world, although it is not the true church of Jesus Christ, who will tell you that it's really not the physical resurrection of Jesus that matters. It's simply that the spirit of Jesus lived on in the stories the disciples shared with one another. And that's what they meant by resurrection. Has anybody ever heard that garbage? Yes? I was at a funeral, a funeral, and heard a pastor say that. And it's really not that he rose physically from the grave, but he rose spiritually and we all can rise spiritually with him. And there's even um, one noted or notorious retired Episcopal bishop who would say that um, St. Paul never says anything in his writing that expresses his own belief in a physical resurrection of Jesus from the grave. I don't know what Bible John Spong reads. That was who I thought it was. <laughs> Hear these words of, of St. Paul. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That does not sound to me like someone who doesn't believe in a physical resurrection. This reality and significance of physical resurrection and this continuous confession of the church is why every Sunday, as part of the Nicene Creed, we recite these words in faith. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave is a reality which establishes the foundation for everything that is to be applied to our lives from Ephesians and throughout, and throughout God's word. And it is indeed Christ's resurrection and exalted place at the Father's right hand, which secures our spiritual inheritance both now and forever. Second, Christ's authority empowers us in the present. 
Look at verse 21 in the second part of verse, or the first part of verse 22 with me. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. There are two aspects to what is said here. To start with here, Paul speaks of different levels or ranks of human and supernatural beings. This is what rule and authority and power and dominion refer to. Similarly, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, Paul writes this, speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Paul lists these various kinds of supernatural powers, kind of stacking them up. But he does this to emphasize the surpassing inferiority. Did you hear that? The surpassing inferiority of all of these, all of these in comparison to Jesus. As a matter of fact, there is no comparison whatsoever. It is not as if Jesus is somehow of like being. Rather, he has created and he is over all of these powers. He transcends them all. Any rank or honor attributed to created beings is simply obliterated and disappears from view in comparison with the glory which Christ has received from the Father. Paul tells us that Jesus is above every name that is named. Remember the context. There was a belief in that day that knowing someone's name gave that person power over the person or being whose name they knew. But Jesus' name is above every name. No one and nothing exercises power over Jesus Christ. And this is all incredibly significant. Again, remembering the Ephesian context, remembering that most of these believers in Ephesus were fairly recent converts from paganism. And pagans, in addition to this whole idea about names, lived in fear of being cursed or, and they tried to use magic, which was demonic, to manipulate spiritual forces and beings in order for them to do their bidding. And the record of scripture is that many of these believers in Ephesus, as they came to faith in Christ and grew in the reality of the power of the resurrection, they renounced these evil and ungodly practices. Acts 19 records this. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do you see the correlation here? As people of God renounce pagan and dark and ungodly practices, and as they and we live more fully into the power of Christ's resurrection, the word of the Lord continues to increase and the word of the Lord prevails mightily. The cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus has defeated and broken these powers in the lives of these new Ephesian believers and in our lives as new creations of Christ as we live in the power of Christ's resurrection. And sometimes folks get it a little mixed up because instead of thinking of Jesus as Lord over all 
and created beings down here, you have what develops what we would call in theology as dualism, where somehow people start to think of things skewed a little bit more like this was Jesus, and it's these powers as if it's, they have some level of authority that can compete with him, or sometimes even worse, people put it down here as if it's this battle between the two, as if there's any other outcome than the fact that Jesus is and will remain forever and all eternity victorious. Christ is Lord. He is Lord over all. Jesus defeated the forces of darkness through the cross and his resurrection. The second thing we see here, the more positive side of this, is that this supreme authority of Jesus secures you and me as believers in the present age. You and I, brothers and sisters, are securely anchored in Christ. And that should fill us with rejoicing. It should fill us with rejoicing. And Jesus emphasizes to his disciples in Luke 10, even though we have authority over the forces of darkness as children of the most high God, nevertheless, Jesus says, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in what Christ has done for us. And then third, Christ's headship fills us with his life. Look at the second half of verse 22 and verse 23 with me. And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Not only has Jesus trampled the forces of evil and darkness underfoot, Having him as head of the body, as head of the church, is the source of our life. Do you understand? It is the source of our life. Headship and submission and terms like that and ideas like that are far too often viewed negatively or from an extremely individualistic lens in our culture. But this is not the biblical sense of things, nor would the Ephesians have understood this in a negative or way or understood this in an oppressive way. There's a story that's told, true story, in a book that's been recently released by um, an author by the name of um, Drew Dyke, which is called Generation X Christian, where he interviews people that have, younger people who have walked away from the Christian faith. And one of the young men he interviews is someone who left Christianity for Wicca, which is demonic, to be very clear. And he renamed himself Morning Hawk Apollo, renaming himself as a common practice in Wiccan circles. But he discussed with the author his rejection of Christianity with candor. And he said this, ultimately why I left is that the Christian God demands that you submit to his will. In Wicca, it's just the other way around. Your will is paramount. We believe in gods and goddesses, but the deities we choose to serve are based on our wills. That is a tragically sad story of someone that's on a straight path to hell. Because submission to Christ and his authority and his power is where we begin. Subjection to Jesus, submission to Jesus brings life. It is the source of life. And as we submit to his life, he has brought and continues to bring 
order to our disorder and stability to chaos in our lives, in the lives of everyone who comes to him. The idea of him being head points to source or origin. As the head of the church, Jesus is the source of our life, eternal resurrection life as a reality here and now and for all the future. And as our Lord, as the church's Lord, he gives us his power to live godly lives, to live holy, blameless lives, despite our human frailties, despite our shortcomings, despite our sin, not because of us, but because of him and who he is and what he does. And whereas Christ's power puts down the forces and authorities of darkness and subjugates them, for us, as we together experience his life being subject to him, we are raised to newness of life in and with Christ. And out of that supremacy he holds over us flows godliness of life and holiness of life. Yes, Christ is above all and over all and he's over us as his church. That's the transcendent part, the part where he is other than and separate and unique to himself. But Jesus also promises us that by his spirit that he is with us and in us, filling us with his life-giving presence. And when we call upon him, he draws near to us. So he is transcendent, but he is imminent, right with us, very really present at the same time. With us, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ's resurrection has secured our spiritual inheritance both here and now and for all of eternity. Christ's authority empowers us in the present. The authority of the one whose name is above every name. And submitting to Christ's headship doesn't kill us. It fills us as the people of God. It fills us with his life. And the more we submit to him, the more powerfully we will be used by him. The more we submit to him, the more that makes space for his resurrection life to flow in and through us and out from us to touch others. And everything we will talk about in Ephesians from here forward rests and hinges upon these truths. Christ is with us and he is our head. He is our Lord. We belong to him. And may we grow to be ever more fully submitted to him that his power may be released and flowing through us. Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are for the resurrection of Jesus, the one who is our head, the head of the church, the one who gives us newness of life, the one to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. So, Father, do your good work in us even now that we as your people, the church of Jesus Christ, may be fully submitted to him and live in the power of his resurrection to accomplish your plan and your purposes both here and now and for all eternity. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.